Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your weekly look at all things royal, brought to you from the Mail HQ in Kensington. I'm Joe Elvin and joining me this week, for the first time in ages, is Sarah Vine, Daily Mail columnist for the Mail on Sunday as well, and Weekend Magazine. Alongside her, of course, is Daily Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden, who I think just sort of sits there and waits for us to all turn up every week, don't you? I stay here all week. <laughs> Not busy or anything. But no, we are busy today. There's so much to talk about. So let's get straight to the royal story that's in lots of the papers today about Prince William making a speech about racism in the UK. Now, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first. This was at the unveiling of a statue where he could have got away with something quite jolly and mild. Yeah. And yet this is where he went. What do you make of that? Well, I think he's probably still smarting from the things that Harry and Meghan said about him last year. Was it last year? I can't remember. Time yeah. flies about, you know, racism in the royal family. Yeah. 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 So I think he probably feels it's, it's an issue that he has to kind of address head on. And I think that's probably quite a good way of addressing it. Mm. Um, I, don't think he, well, I don't think what he said was particularly controversial. But as you say, it was more than he needed to say. But maybe he just would like to draw a line under that and just, you know make sure that people understand where he stands on it. Is that mm. drawing a line under it? It just feels to me, Richard, like he feels it's still hovering there and the family needs to do more. Um, I'm not sure that this was related really to, um, you know, Harry and Meghan's criticism in the mm. Oprah interview. You know, their sort of awful um, allegations of racism against the royal family. You know, they were, thought they were outrageous at the time. And William was angry. You might remember he mm. was asked about it and he said, you know, we are very much not a racist family. Yes. He clearly felt very strongly about it. But this speech yesterday was, was a, a very serious one. It was a serious subject. And I think it's one that he would have wanted to do anyway. Um, you know, it's all about the people who came from the Commonwealth countries after the war. They came in the 60s and um, have contributed a lot, but have also had problems. And he mm. was addressing those problems with the Wimrush scandal head on. Mm. Um, and I, and I, th I think it's honestly, I don't think Harry's um, involved in that at all. I wonder if it's got something to do, Sarah, with, you know, we saw, we were talking last week about William in action, putting his foot down about Prince Andrew mm. at the Order of the Garter. Mm procession. Do you think it's just another indication that we've got a new William on our hands? He's, he's decided to step yeah, up. I think he's sort of he's now sort of edging towards being the Prince of Wales, isn't he? And, and that's right. He needs to do that. So he's being a bit more vocal about things, being a little bit less behind the scenes, just just dipping his toe in the water, really. Mm. I mean, I think what he said about Windrush was perfectly reasonable. I mean, the, the, the Windrush scandal was very recent. There, there are people do still have problems. So I think, you know, I, don't, I, I think that would have resonated with a lot of people. Is, do you think it's um, borderline a political interference, a political statement? It's different from Prince Charles's recent private comments that caused such a row mm. about Rwanda, because in oh, this yes. case, when the um, Wimrush scandal, which we should explain, was um, people being told they had no right to be here, even though they'd after lived here years, yeah. after 40 years. Yeah. So it was, it was outrageous. But that's been addressed by the government that's apologised. Um, and so it's not a sort of live political issue. Mm. So he hasn't, he won't have caused any trouble by making these yeah. comments. Well, that's that sorted then. But we're going to stick with the Duke of Cambridge for a minute to mark his 40th birthday. He's my sister's birthday twin. We spoke to Richard Kay, the Daily Mail's editor-at-large, who has covered the royal family for most of William's life. I think he's becoming a more significant figure within the royal family. I think for a long time he was content not to have that role. Um, the relationship with his father was, has not always been good. There's been a lot of friction between them over the years. They seem to have a, a better understanding of one another. 
I put a lot of all this down to the influence of, of Kate and the Middleton family and, and how they've, uh, I sort of think, have given him some new priorities in his life. Um, but in terms of his royal role, he's slightly stepping out, if you like, of that, sh that long shadow cast by his father and is intent on having his own views known. I mean, a, a lot of us have observed over the years that he was, he's quite different in, in character and makeup from his father and has much more in common with the Queen and that he will take his duties as King in an entirely different way from those of his father. He clearly has issues that are important to him. The homeless one is, is one of, I, I suspect, the one closest to his heart, possibly because it was his mother who first introduced him to the plight of homelessness in, in central London. I remember going on, on visits with them when they would go out in, in the evenings. They were still quite young, William and Harry, but particularly William. And um, his mother would take him to places like the Embankment and to the Strand, to food, food stations. Um, and I think those sort of visits have had an impact on him. He's, he, he clearly wants to make it something that he's going to be involved in. So I suspect we will see him addressing those kind of things. I think what people uh, don't know about William is that he has a steeliness in him. He sees the, the negative effects of Andrew, how he's damaging the royal brand, and he, he's strongly of the view that Andrew is holding back the family and therefore he cannot be seen in public. I think Andrew, I think William was decisive in ensuring that Andrew had no central role in the recent Jubilee celebration. And he, he is strongly of the view that Andrew needs to go away and atone at least for some time and try and find some kind of role which takes him away from frontline royal work. A great sadness descended on William uh, when his brother took the route that he did. And, but, but it was worsened, of course, by the unnecessary and, and, and ad hominem attacks, if you like, on, on Kate um, through those various interviews that he and, and Meghan have done in, in America. Um, I think he's going to find it extremely hard uh, to forget what happened, even if he can forgive. I suspect he can forgive. And people tend to gloss over the fact that, that William and, and Harry had the most extraordinary relationship throughout their childhood. And then in those formative years after the death of their mother, um, they formed such a close bond. I think that's what made the, the breach so much harder and more painful for William. Because if anyone understood the obligations and responsibilities of monarchy, it's Prince Harry. And, and William wanted Harry at his side. Harry's not going to be there for him, clearly. Um, but William will not shut the door on him. He will have him back. But I think there will have to be some fundamental changes in the nature of the relationship that Harry has with the royal family before William will allow that change to happen. Richard Kay there. Sarah, he talked about the, the real pain that William feels about this mm. sort of, you know, this separation from Harry. It's, it's not going away, is it? It's... No, and I think, I think he's very... I think um, William is quite an emotional human being, actually. And I think he was... You know, he very much took on the sort of role of parent with Harry mm. after Diana died. And I think he looked after his brother and he really was a big source of support. And I think for him it's a really fundamental betrayal. And of course the one thing that united them was their mother. And so, and that's such a, such a massive part of their lives. And so for them to not have that, you know, they rely on each other 
to sh for that shared experience and now there's this massive wedge between them. Mm. So I think emotionally it's very hard for William and I think he is someone who feels things quite deeply and he's also emotionally very, not slow, when I say slow I don't mean that means he's stupid, I just mean that he's very, he feels things quite deeply, you know, he doesn't make quick emotional decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that you know, this this schism is, is has gone really, really cut deep and I think he's retreated a bit and he's he's a Cancerian, he's got a shell, he's in it. He's yeah. a bit he's a bit mm. sort of protective and angry, I think. Um, sensitive water sign. Sensitive yeah, he's a sensitive water sign. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Rebecca English <laughs> Sorry, I know um, you don't believe in that rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca English quoted um, people talking about the sort of grief almost that he suffered from mm. the end of that relationship really. But I do think Prince William is tough and I think that he's sort of he has put that behind him now. So yes, sort of, you know, he was grieving about it, but I think he accepts But that emotionally, yeah. Harry is the last real connection to, the, to his mother when you think about it, and that's a really mm. big, big loss for R him. Richard Kay was also mm. saying there um, that Harry's relationship with the whole royal family would have to change so dramatically. Mm. What, what could he do at this point to bridge that gap? There's a lot Harry could do, but I really do think that he is keeping his family at a distance until mm. his book is published. Gosh, I really, I really yeah. do. You know, Gosh. I think that he is going to be saying some things which will be unpleasant and will go down badly with yeah. Prince Charles and Prince William. And he almost sort of can't face them. I think that partly explains the awkward situation we had um, during the yeah. Jubilee and why they didn't want to spend time with each other. But you're saying about, you know, William grieving that estrangement that must be true of harry as well it must be well who knows i mean the thing is the thing about william is that he married somebody who was a really stabilizing force in his life you know he married a, a really solid person who sort of understands the brief and is, is i think is is very grounding for well, him. You, you wrote about that well, the yeah other day, whereas i think yeah. harry married somebody who is the opposite uh, you know, she's she's destabilizing force because she's you know, she's very there's a lot of drama with Meghan, you know, whatever in whatever circumstances, and so they both made very different choices. And I think the spouses in these situations are quite key because they are really important to sort of you know looking after the these. Very, I mean, whatever you say about these people, they are they they do have an enormous amount of pressure on them, and so they do need the the support. And I think that. You know, th th there's there's been a real difference in the, in their styles with this. But I think what's interesting about William is that he seems to have got closer to his own father, mm. which you know, again, after Diana's death, there was this sort of iciness a bit, and and I think a lot of uh, recrimination. And I don't know if you saw that documentary a few years ago, five or six years ago, where they talked about their mother. It was clear that uh, the both the boys, to an extent, blamed Charles for a lot of what had happened and felt very defensive of their mother, uh, but. William seems to have come back to, to Charles now and their relationship seems to have deepened and matured and there seems to be a lot of forgiveness there whereas Harry has gone the other way and there's almost less forgiveness and he's still very angry mm. and and all of this anger is coming out in these you know interviews that he does and in the way that he you know on the Jubilee he left the afternoon of the parade he went back mm. to America on the afternoon of the parade he didn't mm. even stay until the end you know I, I thought that was quite significant and so this book is part of that fury that he clearly feels yes I think you'll find there's a lot of anger yeah. that will come out in that book yeah and I think I don't know listening to what you say about the wives I feel like Harry probably feels like Meghan 
is it has been his saviour. Of course, so, yeah. Know, I mean, and, and it's I been so not, not destabilising, but, yeah. but but good for him. Or just you know, just I mean, they are both they, they are both playing out two very different responses yeah. to the trauma that happened yeah. to them. Yeah. You know, there's it's it's Gosh, interesting. It's polarising because they're yeah. they're the opposite ends, really polarised. You know, William has gone very much one way. He Harry's very much gone the other. So it's hard to see how they're going to find that middle ground let's, again. Let's have a, a, another view of William and Kate that's sort of broken news today. A new portrait of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge has been painted by the artist Jamie Corrath to be shown across the county of Cambridgeshire. What do we think? I hate those vampire wife dresses. <laughs> I, I think it's too chocolate boxy like for me. Them. I like them. I know, but you're dresses. into fashion and I'm not, oh, as people right, can see from what, I, from what I'm wearing. But I just think it's a bit chocolate boxy. I mean, oh, they, the, it's artist really says, the artist says that he wanted to show the pair relaxed and approachable as well as elegant yeah. and dignified. What, what do you think? I was so relieved when I saw it because <laughs> I thought back to that um, picture, which I think is in the National Portrait Gallery of um, Catherine. And it... it it was awful, really didn't do her justice no. at all. And I think it's extremely hard to paint beautiful people. Yes. What do you think they're looking she at? She undoubtedly is. Uh, it looks like they're, they're really looking like you can't I sit think with us today. They're looking at the canapé tray, which is coming towards them at a cocktail party. Yeah. That's what I think they're doing. And William's stance is so kind of badass. Do you mean he's like, he's, it's, it's casual? <laughs> I mean, boss. honestly, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's a, I could see it's a very accomplished portrait. Yeah. Like, I think what Richard says about it's very hard to paint Kate because she is so ridiculously pretty. Yeah. And so however you do it, you always end up looking a bit like Mills and Boone. I mean, it is quite Mills and Boone, isn't it? Perhaps but the best you... portraits of them will come when they're old <laughs> you could, and wrinkly. Exactly. You, know? <laughs> you, could put, you could put a sort of Mills and Boone title on that, couldn't you? And it would work quite well as a cover. It's definitely, it, it, it does have that kind of style of those, those book covers. Yes, those sort of 70s book covers. It's, it's strangely retro if you ask me. But He's, I can this, see that it's very accomplished. This artist is excellent. If you see some of his work, there was one yeah. portrait of Fatima, I think it was called, where it was very, uh, it's very realistic, yes. but, but very um, Who would take the gig portrait. of painting a royal? Because then you've just got people like us sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, mean, I would just say, I would yeah. just say, I think the, whoever, the painter has done, a, you know, technically it's really brilliant and accomplished, isn't it? You can't really fault it. It's more the tone of it is quite Mills and William does look very slim, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He looks very much like, you know, the hero of a, no of a romantic novel. I like, I like a matching tie with a dress, but let's move on. Yes. <laughs> We've talked before on the programme about how see, we're seeing a monarchy in transition and one question that remains unresolved is that of William when he becomes Prince of Wales. And here's what Richard Kay had to say about it. I think the difficulty that both Charles and William have got, uh, by implication, is that Charles's reign is going to be a short one. We know that. Yes, he could live as long as his mother, um, but he isn't going to celebrate a jubilee like his mother did. Uh, and once um, the Prince, Prince of Wales is, is sovereign, the focus on William and Kate will become even more ratcheted up than it is now because they are uh, the future. Uh, they're very agreeable children, will continue to dominate uh, royal family events. Um, and I think that'll be hard for Charles because it means, yet again, he's going to be slightly pushed out of the spotlight in much the same way as he was by his late wife, Diana, and now he will be uh, by his son and his son's family. William doesn't particularly want this, I have to say. I mean, he wants his father to have his go and then it'll, then it'll be his turn. Um, but we are entering this era of, of, of elderly and middle-aged monarchs 
uh, stretching way ahead into the distant future. I think William is aware of that and it's a, he's aware about trying to keep the monarchy fresh and relevant. Charles will make changes, no doubt about it. There will be steps, slim down monarchy, we know all about that. I think William will take it much further. Coming to you first, Richard, this links with comments you made last week about how Charles might be perceiving William's growing role. Yes, what I touched on last week was reports I've heard that um, there are a few tensions there, that Prince William has been sort of throwing his weight around, as it was put to me, and, and Prince Charles is not very happy about it. I think it's, as Richard Kay mentioned, he, he knows that it would almost be a sort of dual reign, that he knows he has to consult his son and heir mm. on decisions he makes, and that does make for a bit of an awkward situation, but it's just a reality of, of the age that he is. What, what do you think, Sarah? He, Charles obviously deserves his time on the throne. Mm. How does he balance that delicate situation with having an assertiveness? Well, I think the problem with Charles is that his destiny has been to be stuck in the middle, really. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, whichever way you cut it, that's, that's what's going to happen to him. You know, he was, he's been in waiting for so many years and he won't be here for long before William takes over. And I think that must be really difficult for him. And I think he's dealt with it quite well on the whole over the years. I think he's made an impact. I think he's done his own thing. Um, and I think that he must also feel very acutely the fact that quite a lot of people, if you ask them, will say that they think it should just skip to William. Mm. And I think that's very unfair, actually, because... Well, I can't imagine that that's William's... No, I'm sure it's not. Yeah. But, you know, some ordinary people I talk to, you know, you speak to just people, you know, chatting to... Uh, Quite a lot of people say that. I mean, readers sometimes email me and say that, and why don't we yeah. just go straight to William? And so there's a sort of perception that, you know, Prince Charles is a sort of ghost in between them two, uh, in between the Queen and William. And so I think if I were him, I'd feel a bit annoyed by that, genuinely. Um, and, but that said, William has got to start to make the transition to being the Prince of Wales. So he does have to start doing more things. Mm. And as a result, will become more assertive how else could he not? I mean, how, how can he do that without being more assertive? And then the coverage you know? creates tension, And then the coverage it? creates yeah. tension. So I think, I think it's just a sort of, you know, I think it's a normal human response that Charles is having. Um, and I think Williams is also normal. I mean, he's about to, you know, he, his life is about to change. He's turning 40. It's always a big moment. 40 is a nightmare, as we all know. You know, it's the time when your children... I'll learn about it when it comes. Oh, yes, yeah. when it comes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're, you're sort of not young, you're not old. Life is quite difficult. There's a lot of pressures, a lot of family pressures, a lot of, you know, he's at that stage. So it's a period of adjustment. Mm. And, but, you know, it's lucky that they do have a period of adjustment, actually. And yeah. I think that um, the best thing they can do is to just put their fingers in their ears and just do what they think is right. Yeah. That's what I would say. Let's, let's turn for the moment to the grand old Duke of York, Richard. Mm. Um, mm. Now, an MP has made a move to try and strip him of that title. Is that right? Yes, this is the Labour MP for York Central, Rachel Maskell, who's been trying to get a bill through, through the Commons that he should be, a mechanism should be brought in that he could be stripped of his York title. Frankly, um, she and lots of other people from the city of York are embarrassed that he carries um, their name. Mm. And, and it's something they want to adjust, but it's a very thorny issue. And um, it won't get government support because it's something, the last thing the government would want to do is start 
bossing the Queen around and telling her, you know, that she should strip titles from her second son. Oh, my son. gosh. The complications just never end with that but one. But the problem with <laughs> yeah. the Duke of York is that he is the weakest, weakest link. <laughs> and when you, yeah. have, when you have, you know, Labour MPs basically agitating... You know, it will be a Republican agenda, fundamentally. You know, they want to sort of get rid of the monarchy. Well, there was and a piece in Ephraim Hardcastle yeah. the other day about a suggestion he could be governor of the Falklands. What do we, what do we think about that? And what, what have the Falklands done to deserve exactly. it? Exactly. Is, is it far away enough? I don't know. I mean, so, so they do have to find a solution. But I think probably in the Queen's lifetime, I think they should just retain the status quo for now. I mean, Charles and William will have to make a decision. I wonder that. if well, Andrew's would, had any actual reaction to that. And it would also up and open up a can of worms with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. There's mm. an awful lot of people in the counties of Sussex who mm. don't really want Harry and Meghan to be carrying around their titles. Well, they're the Duke and Duchess of Montecito now, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> they are, aren't they? But anyway, so let's let's move on. Well, last week we had the Mail's royal editor Rebecca English in a very exciting appearance in the studio with us. Make sure you watch that one back if you missed it. But this week she's in Rwanda with the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall and she sent us this report. Apologies for my slightly dusty appearance. It's been a very long, hectic and uh, very hot first day in Rwanda where of course I'm with the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall as they represent the Queen at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. Now it's turning out to be a very interesting trip for a number of reasons, not least because Charles and Camilla are the first members of the British Royal Family to ever set foot on Rwandan soil. And it will also be the first time that Charles has been here representing the Queen since he was nominated by the Commonwealth leaders to inherit the position as head of the Commonwealth from his mother, the Queen, when she eventually passes away. But today actually wasn't about private conversations or political pronouncements. It wasn't even actually about the Commonwealth. It was about the 1994 Rwandan genocide. Uh, for those who don't know, it was a particularly horrific period in this country's history in which up to a million people were systematically slaughtered uh, over 100 days by the ruling Hutu party. Um, and the Prince of Wales was particularly keen to have this factored into his program. And he and Camilla started the day by visiting the National Memorial here in Kigali, uh, where 250,000 victims are buried. There was an incredibly moving moment in the uh, museum there, where the stories of the children who lost their lives in this slaughter uh, are told. Um, and it's very poignant because you, you learn as a visitor what they were like as a child, what they liked to eat, what their favourite game was, who their best friend was. But they then go on to learn how they died, whether it was they, they were killed in their mother's arms by a machete or, or burnt in one of the local churches. And you could see that Charles and Camilla were deeply moved by the experience. Uh, later on this afternoon, the Prince of Wales went on his own to a church about an hour's uh, drive south of Kigali, um, where 10,000 people alone were murdered in just two days in April 1994. Um, you can still see the um, shrapnel holes in the roof of the church where they had sought sanctuary. And you can also see uh, benches which are laden with thousands of pieces of blood-stained and dusty clothing including children's bonnets and booties and and downstairs there are uh, the prince viewed uh, hundreds of skulls and bones uh, from some of the bodies that were recovered and uh, he left saying that he hoped um, 
the world would take note of what happened here and learn the lessons from what had uh, been allowed to unfold in Rwanda, but also the lessons of reconciliation the country has gone through as well. So quite a sombre and harrowing start to what will be a very, very interesting visit. And while there's plenty uh, to discuss about the Commonwealth here in terms of the environment, youth opportunity, um, economic development, in actual fact, all eyes will be on the Prince of Wales and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Now, the two men haven't met since Prince Charles was reported by the Mail to have made comments in private about a controversial government policy, that of sending channel migrants here to Rwanda on a one-way ticket. Charles is said to have greatly disapproved of this and even described it as appalling. Now there's lots of opportunities in public for them to meet over the next few days so all eyes will be on the body language but I've been told tonight they also plan to have a cup of tea and a catch-up on Friday morning at the Prince of Wales's hotel so oh to be a fly on the wall of that. Rebecca English in Rwanda there that is all we have time for in another fascinating episode of Palace Confidential today. My thanks to Sarah Vine, Rebecca English, Richard Eden and to you of course for watching and we will see you next week. Goodbye.